crowd has gathered at the port of Sequester to witness the arrival of Midst's mail car, or what remains of it. As the mail car zooms down toward its destination, some automatic brakes attempt to engage, making a shrill scream as the engine compartment stops abruptly without its full payload as usually it would. Nearing the moormast, the tall tower here in sequester, mirroring the one on midst. And the mechanical elevator unhitches it from the line and begins to draw it down toward ground, toward a crowd. This was an interesting enough spectacle for the people of sequester on its own. They are even more surprised to see three people disembark from the ruined car. Normally, the mail car does not carry passengers, and for very good reason. Speaking of which, the crowd has also been drawn by the distant whale song heard not too long ago, and the violent twang in the cable that was felt shortly before the car's arrival. Sequester's harbormaster, a burly, four-armed woman, approaches the smoking car and its three unusual passengers, as if a representative, an envoy of Sequester. She holds out her hands, the many of them that she has, to assist them. Lark, of course, doesn't need any help. Uh, says the harbormaster. Are, are you okay? What, uh, what are you doing there, and what happened to the rest of the car? Are you, there wasn't more of you, was there? Did they get eaten? Oh, I'm sorry. Phineas attempts to take charge of the situation, being sort of the de facto authority. Dot, dot, dot. He might as well be. Lark is just gripping Zila's shoulders and looking around for the fastest route out of the crowd, out of the center of attention. It is a pretty substantial crowd, too. There are a lot of people gathered here today, watching their arrival. Many people with many unique and varied forms. The four-armed harbormaster is by no means the most unusual person here today. In fact, it's kind of hard to pin down what unusual even means in a crowd so varied. They seem to think that the three arrivals from midst are the weirdest ones here. And for a moment, standing in front of the crowd, being asked questions directly, Phineas feels that familiar pressure, that stress steal over him, and he knows what to do. We've just come from midst. Yeah, that's uh, that's where the other end of this cable is attached. And something terrible has happened there. Um... The moon exploded and crashed into the folds, uh, creating a tremendous terror. Appropriately awed and shocked murmurs break out across the crowd. We've come, or at least he darts a glance at Lark and Zila. I've come to try and get help, to try and get some support, um... I was referred to the mothers, I guess? Ah, yes, yes. Another murmur in the crowd. Lots of nodding. It's urgent that I make contact with them as quickly as possible. Behind them, the harbormaster is investigating the damage to the mail car, her eyes wide. Holy shit, she's overheard to say. No kidding, this doesn't look great. Her body is scarred with dark, inky markings, as well as opalescent, reflective white patches, a fingertip, an elbow, the side of her neck. Well, not exactly white. 
It's more like light doesn't interact with her properly, just in those little spots. And she's not the only one, not by a long shot. All the people here have been touched by the fold in some way or other. And presumably have also figured out a way to coexist with it. There are many opalescent markings upon many different people. An arm here, a nose there, glimmering in the darkness, surreal and incongruous. The crowd disperses a little as people start to converse energetically amongst themselves about the incoming terror, this very interesting news about the events upcurrent. Phineas overhears a few comments. Oh, you know, we're probably deep enough. Most of the terrors from upcurrent, they flow right over us, but probably going to be a few offshoots. Best to be prepared. The harbormaster points one of her fingers towards the center of town, where a bustling night market glimmers distantly in the darkness of the fold. Just uh, head right on through to the other side of town. There's a ferry that comes through a few times a day. Should be due uh, next in a few hours. And that'll take you out to the Mother's Lazaretto. So, so it's not on this island. I, I think I understand. It's sort of... Nope, just offshore. Oh, well, thank you. Um, a sturdy dock worker with one opalescent arm is attending to what remains of the mail car, noting the damage on a clipboard. Sorry about the car, but... uh, You don't have to apologize to us. It's not our property. Sounds like you had a rough voyage. Thank you for understanding. Lucky break, we were about to sever the cable. We thought it would be torn loose, and we were about to let you go. Good thing we didn't. Phineas looks around and spots Lark and Zila, who have made their way to the edge of the crowd. He rushes to catch up with them. So I think I know where to go. Good for you, says Lark. They stand there in the glimmering darkness of the outskirts of the town of Sequester, regarding one another. This seems to be the end of the road for their travels together. She doesn't seem like she's intending to come with. And why would she, actually, he realizes. Where are you guys headed? Look, it seems like you have this handled. I think it's best if we part ways now. Especially in light of recent events. She stares daggers at him. She doesn't want him anywhere near that girl. Phineas isn't quite sure how to take this. He feels torn. On the one hand, he feels like questioning Zila is still important to his assignment. If it is even still his assignment. And having been now in the company of this girl, who he's meant to apologize to numerous times, but prevented at every turn by this woman now being told that this is it I I'll be seeing you he says probably not and Lark turns to go shepherding Zila with her who glances one last time over her shoulder towards Phineas uncertain Zila gives him a hesitant little confused wave before they are swallowed into the darkness Phineas is alone again He sets off through town, through the strange, bustling, verdant night market of Sequester. Let's take a look here for a moment. Compared to Midst, Sequester feels lush and bursting with life. It's like a rainforest. The air, heavy with fold, is also more humid. This is Phineas's first time fully submerged on an islet in the fold. 
where it is always dark, where it is always enfolded. Here, at this depth, the fold is dense and heavy against his skin, humid and ever so slightly alive. What feels like a breeze, he realizes is more so an organic movement of particles against him. It isn't the pitch blackness that he was expecting, that he had grown accustomed to on the cable journey here. Sequester is full of light and life and activity. All around him, strange glowing fungi, schools of glimmering creatures fluttering in the dark. Flora and fauna pulsing with all colors of natural bioluminescence naturally and organically fold safe. If Unrise on Minst is like arriving in Oz, this is like the photo negative of that picture. Bright, vivid, bizarre colors glowing forth from the dark, omnipresent background of the fold. Every organism pulsing and flickering with its own unique rhythm and color. Among this lush tapestry exists a market, a hub of activity. Stalls clustered along a main street, neighboring cultivated fields of glowing coral or seaweed-like fronds, pens of livestock for sale brought to market. Strange jellyfish-like creatures wafting on the humid fog. There on a fishmonger's counter, pieces of a small juvenile whale being cleft apart and sold by the pound. And all around him, strange and unusual people, their bodies reconfigured by fold. Though Phineas feels like the weird one, limping along in his armor, which is now barely holding together, missing a few of its key parts. He keeps having to hike the breastplate up. Now that he's missing his mica pauldron, people keep giving him odd, curious, and sympathetic looks. Clearly, word is getting around quickly about the tragedy that has befallen Midst. He hears whispers exchanged between passing pedestrians. He hears the words, trust, and Midst. There is not an abacus to be seen anywhere, nor a notary, nor a mission. He feels so unseen. Midst felt like an otherworldly frontier. This feels like an entirely alien world, further still beyond comprehension. But something he can comprehend is the gnawing hunger growing in his belly. He realizes suddenly, oh god, it's been days? What was the last thing he ate? Other than that dusty tin of canned bread they ate on the cable car, Phineas is hungry. And he immediately turns into the first little grocer jerky shop that he can find. The smells of grilled fish and fruit assault his nostrils, and his stomach gives an audible growl, which the vendor hears and chuckles at knowingly. Shall I carve you off a slice? The vendor says, a pulsating blue parrot-like creature perched on their shoulder. Or maybe it's part of their shoulder, actually? Yes, please, absolutely, I'll take one. Coming right up. And cordially tells him the price. And Phineas feels like an idiot as he's hit with a sinking realization. He doesn't, you know, have money, per se. How could he forget something so basic? Sequester isn't part of the trust. 
There's no notary to document his purchase and just add the equivalent kynum to his account like normal. How do people manage down here with all their random little scraps of currency? It's so confusing. The vendor hesitates, takes a closer look at his armor, glancing up and down. Ah, you know what, kid? This one's on me. Don't tell anyone I'm giving out freebies, okay? Just tell them how good it tastes. Uh, you got it, Phineas says, and immediately devours the morsel of fish, escaping rapidly, embarrassed. In this moment, it's the most delicious thing he's ever tasted. The gravy, greasy and running down his throat. (laughs) (laughs) On the other side of the night market, the town of Sequester thins out into the night. Rural pasture land on either side. The undeveloped terrain of the islet of Sequester curving toward the horizon. Cushiony, luminescent moss underfoot. And Phineas comes to a pier jutting out off the edge of a sheer cliff. And he sees clearly for the first time... A building. A castle. Seemingly floating in the air. High above the ground, on a craggy rock of its own. Sort of like a dark imitation of what Mid's moon used to look like. The lazaretto, where the mothers dwell, is a strange, organic... Bent and weathered edifice. A truly bizarre piece of architecture. Jutting forth from this hovering shard of earth high in the sky above. Gnarled, dirt-matted roots protruding from its base, hanging down and drifting in the fold. Distant lights glimmer in windows, pulsing gently. A black satellite just off of Sequester. No fairy in sight. As Phineas settles into his uneasy wait for the fairy... His thoughts begin pinging around in his mind, racing, chasing one another, and we'll just leave him with those terrible thoughts. Meanwhile, Lark has her own problems to contend with. This is the longest Lark has been with a child. Ever. And while she likes Zila fine... It's been days, and she feels completely out of her depth. Lark pulls Zila aside beyond the night market where they have, much like Phineas, gathered some food to eat, and they find a secluded spot beyond the stalls on a mossy outcropping rock to sit and talk and recuperate and plan their next move. Zila slurps down her noodles voraciously. Lark seems distant, lost in her own thoughts, and Zila is getting increasingly frantic and demanding with her questions. What are we going to do, Lark? Can we... Do we just wait here until the terror goes by and then make our way back to Midst somehow? No, we can't go back to Midst. I can't go back to Midst. Well, do we find a place to stay here for now? Uh, do you have any other family I could take you to? What about your mom? Well, I don't exactly have, um... Okay, okay, I get it. That's not an option. Zila is beginning to regain her sense of self. Without time to properly process her grief, she has been in a fugue state of sorts for several days, but now it's all beginning to come back to her. The trauma of her experience on Midst, the realization now that her dad is gone? It, it didn't really register with her until now. It's, it, she's been, there has been a numbness. And she feels hot tears 
form on her face. Well, then if we're not going to go anywhere, then what... Okay, okay. Lark places her hand on the moss-covered surface of the stone table between them. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a a reading. Zila blinks rapidly. A fortune? Right. For me? Can I... can I read your fortune? Zila's heart races. Okay. Is this for real? Will it tell us what we need to do? Yeah. We need some information right now. Okay. Lark turns and pulls her divination pouch out from a pocket. You keep that with you? It's always on me. It's a good tool. Where did you get that, anyway? It was my mom's, Lark says, as she rummages her fingers around in the bag's contents. You had a mom? You had never really thought about it before. She could read, too. Actually, compared to what I do, I could hardly even call this reading. She was way better. But, um, when I read for other people, I sometimes get some insights about my own future. This, of course, is somewhat untrue. The reality being that Lark gets little to no insight about anyone other than herself, but Zila doesn't need to know that right now. The whole reason Lark bothers to read for anyone else is only to get information about her own future. And as we've established, Zila is a smart girl. Like, she's wiser than her years would suggest. She was always naturally suspicious of Fuse's little magic tricks. And having seen Lark read for Ellie and Eddie, for example, has always kind of pondered the veracity of this activity. But right now, Zila is willing to suspend her disbelief, desperate as she is for any kind of reassurance, supernatural or not. Lark casts her stones, her bones, her baubles and crystals, her pieces of trash, upon the surface of the rock, and the bird skull goes skittering across the table and is about to fall off on Zila's side before Zila catches it. Oh, I, sorry. She looks up, her eyes guilty. I shouldn't have done that, should I? Holding the bird skull gently in her hand. Lark shrugs dismissively. Doesn't matter. What they do is all part of it. Zila gingerly holds the skull, examining it. Put it down wherever you want. Okay. Don't think about it. Zila places it into the middle of the array. What does it mean? Lark looks up at Zila and has a moment to observe her while the girl is looking at all the pieces on the stone tabletop between them. She shouldn't be taking care of this kid. Zila needs something, someone. Someone that Lark can't be. And she's frustrated beyond belief by being saddled with this responsibility. Lark exhales a breath she didn't realize she'd been holding before clearing her thoughts and casting her eyes down to the table of trinkets between them. Lark reads the signs, glancing from item to item. A tiny piece of metal. The burden. Its tiny size belying its surprisingly heavy weight. Situated near to an inverted quartz point. The zenith. What does this part mean? Zila asks, looking between the objects. And Lark goes through the routine that she is accustomed to, picking out clues about her own future while trying to come up with something convincing to tell her 
client. Lark gazes significantly at the burden and over to Zila herself. What to tell Zila about her own future? Lark has no fucking clue what's going to happen to this girl, but she knows what she needs to hear, what she needs to keep her going. Your life has never been easy, but it's prepared you. It's made you strong. It's made you capable of handling whatever happens. Zila's eyes glimmer again as she hears this watching Lark hanging on every word. I wish I could tell you that it is going to be easy, but what I can tell you is that you can handle it and you're going to be okay. Zila's lip trembles. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not really very heavy on the details this time, but, um... But it's going to be okay? Yeah, you're... You're gonna be fine. Does it say anything about my dad? Oh, God, what is she supposed to say to that? He... He would be... No, I'm, I'm sorry, it doesn't. Oh. Okay. Lark can't bring herself to make up some bullshit about that. Sherman is too close to both of them was so close. Now, from this reading, Lark is, in fact, receiving two essential messages. She can continue to run, as she always has, on her own, looking out for only herself. She could leave Zila here, she could find a ship, she could take off, and it would work. Her life would continue on as it has, unchanged. And it's a comfort, but an empty one. A kind of dull, routine one. Run some more. She's getting tired. She's getting old. But she is also seeing another possibility pointed out to her. As she gazes upon the quartz point, the zenith, a glimmering, mica-like piece, reminiscent of an entity she is not pleased to see represented in the spread. It reminds her of Phineas. She takes it to mean Phineas. She has learned not to second-guess her gut hunches too much. He is part of her equation. If she sticks with him a while longer, something new will happen. Something different. But it's not entirely bad. It is not the unequivocal threat she would have expected. And for Zila, it is possibly the best and safest option. She does think to herself that what Zila really needs right now is some kind of a mother. Lark continues to sit there, brow furrowed, chewing slightly on a lip. Is it working? Zila asks. Is your future in there too? And Lark doesn't answer. Because Lark really isn't sure. The ferry is now approaching the pier. Phineas can see a strange creature with flapping, undulating, glowing wings drifting towards him. And it is like no fairy Phineas has ever seen, or could even have imagined. A sort of saddle strapped to its back. A manta ray-like creature fans its way down to hover just there off the jetty, and Phineas approaches. A wizened old fairy driver on its back. You know the type one of those. The ferry driver looks upon Phineas, 
Just you, apparently. Well, hop on up, the ferry driver invites him. Take a seat. Uh, I don't have to pay you, do I? I'm in the mother's employ. This is a public health service. Oh, great. And Phineas sits down. What a strange, unbalancing feeling to walk across the fleshy, warm wing of this ray creature, up onto the seats on its back. It seems quite docile and well-tamed. Its body gently flowing and flapping, blinking with dim bioluminescence. Strange rippling patterns of lights on the underside of its wings. As Phineas situates himself in a seat astride the harness on the fairy creature's back, the driver begins to hoist the reins, urging the creature back towards the mother's lazaretto. And in a final flurry of panic, Phineas knows now that by taking this course, he will never get the absolution he seeks from Zila. And he's also abandoning the last solid lead he had, the remotest chance of succeeding at the assignment given to him by Spar. Is he making a huge mistake? What good is helping Midst off the books like this? compared to pursuing something of incalculable value to the trust. All his years of diligent work about to be conclusively wasted. Hold up, comes a voice from the shore, and Phineas turns to see the last thing he was expecting. His head whips around. An almost comically relieved expression on his face just for a moment. Coming along the pier. Lark and Zila hurrying to catch up with the ferry before it departs. All aboard. And Phineas almost says something, but before he can, Lark tersely shakes her head at him. We just happen to be going to the mothers also. We're not going with you. We're going in the same direction as you. Got it. Just to be clear. And clarity very much established for all parties involved. Well, alrighty then, says the ferry driver awkwardly. The ferry fanning its wings embarks for the mother's lazaretto. It is a short ethereal journey. Schools of tiny, glittering fish flickering in the air around them. And as they disembark on the equivalent but opposite jetty, the massive ornate double doors of the castle creak open. And emerging from them, a figure alien, ambiguous. What they can only assume is a mother. A tall, elegant figure clad from head to toe in velvety, matte black fabric, face completely obscured by a tight-fitting veil, hands gloved and upturned in welcome, head adorned with a tall, mantis-like wimple, a strange headdress, almost horned in appearance, producing a striking silhouette. Welcome to the Lazaretto of the Mother's Merciful. How can we help you? Thank you for listening. To unlock more episodes, become a paid subscriber at midst.co. New episodes of Midst are available every Wednesday on midst.co, your preferred podcast app, and here on Critical Role's YouTube channel. Please rate and review to help the story continue. Thank you.